middle slide here. It's waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I remember being in the counseling room one time with a couple, and they had this, like, urgency about making a decision. And I remember telling them that, you know, um, God is patient, you know, because God is love, and love is patient. And there's so many scriptures that talk about waiting on the Lord, and that whenever you feel urgency or you feel like you have to rush or you have to feel like you have to make a decision now and then once you make that decision you're going to stick by it no matter what even if it was the wrong one so it's usually not from God God doesn't usually pressure us I mean no I grant it there's been times where um I've been in situations where I felt like the Holy Spirit say like you know go talk to that person curry go talk to that person go talk to that person you know so I might get up and that's like an urgent moment I'll walk over and I'll be like hi can I help you and then I find out they're in need and if course, if I would have waited, they would have been gone. But I'm talking about big, major life decisions, right? When there's something, a big decision that needs to be made. You know, if you make the decision, you have peace, or you have a lot of good, wise counsel, that's one thing. But when you have all this urgency, sometimes that's not from God. So today I wanted to talk about waiting on the Lord. Don't rush for the devil, okay? Because sometimes the devil just wants us to rush, He wants us to make this hasty decision. And peace and patience we know comes from God. Let's let's look at some of these. Like I said, there's so many scriptures that talk about this. In Psalms 27, verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, I thought it was interesting that he's saying, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That means waiting sometimes needs strength. That's hard to wait, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, especially when we live here in our American society of fast food and microwaves and what do you mean I got to wait, Mary? I need to make a decision now. You know, it's like sometimes we'll get... Um, somebody will call the church office and they'll be like, Pastor Mary, there's an emergency. They need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, is somebody in the hospital? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, all right, wait 24 hours and schedule them tomorrow. And they're like, well, you got to meet with them right this second. And I'm like, no, let's wait on the Lord. I'm going to start praying right now. And I'll meet with them in 24 hours and see what's going on. Do you know how many times within 24 hours, whatever the urgency was, it's, it's done? Like they've moved on. Like, oh, it's, it's okay. I was worried about this, but, you know, I figured it out. Or, oh, you know, I was worried about this and something else happened. It's interesting how what we feel is so critical in that moment, if we would just wait on the Lord with it, we'll see, was that just, you know, a temptation from Satan to be upset about something that wasn't really a big deal? Or was this really something from God that he wants us to deal with? In my, my personal life, I'm, you know, most of you that know me well, I'm a big post-it person. I get these little post-it notes. I love it because it's like, it's up there, it's concrete, but it's temporary. I can just peel them back off the wall or off the mirror, or off the bulletin board, and throw them away when I'm done. And what I'll do is when a thought comes to me, I'll write it down and I'll put it on the wall. And I always pray this. I always say, Lord, if that idea is from you, then keep bringing it back to me. You know, give me some confirmation. Give me some signs. If it's not from you, let it fade from my memory. So if I go back to that particular room or bulletin board or wall a week later and I haven't thought about that at once, I'll take it off and I'll throw it away. 
Unless I feel like a little like, eh, just keep waiting on that. Then I might leave it. But most of the time, I'm either been obsessively thinking about it and having dreams or having people talk to me about it, or it's something that's like, oh, that was a good idea, but it wasn't a God idea for my life. So being patient and waiting on the Lord, it says in Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. What does that mean to be strong and take heart while you're waiting? I will argue the point or debate the point or present to you my idea of that, which is sometimes I think that means trusting in the Lord. You have to be a strong person to be patient and wait for somebody else to do something. You have to trust that they're going to do it, right? Like in my bathroom the other day, I wanted this shelf put up and I wanted a picture hung. Now, you all know me. I am very capable of going and getting a nail and a screw and hanging a picture and hanging a shelf. But I was trying to be strong and have trust. And there was like already some anchors in there and I wasn't sure which sizes to get. And my husband was the one that had taken them down for me. And now I wanted them put back up. And I thought, I'll ask him, honey, can you hang up this picture in this shelf? Well, I wanted it done right then right? Like I wanted to be able to go in the bathroom and put the stuff on the shelf that needed to go back on the shelf because I was cleaning the bathroom, putting some stuff away. And he said, okay, I'll get to that in a little bit. Now I had to be strong, right? And trust that he will get to it. He'll get to it today. He's just not going to get to it right now and keep my mouth shut, right? And not say, no, please do it right now. I want it done now. Me, 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 right now, right now. Stop what you're doing. I'm more important than anything else in your day. Now, right? That's sometimes, you can't tell me you've never been like that with like, you thought that at least. Like, come on, you've at least thought that. Haven't you thought that? Like, you asked somebody to help you with something you want it done now, not on your time schedule. So wait for the Lord, right? Be strong and take heart. Wait on your husband, be strong, keep your mouth shut, be thankful he's going to do it on his time, it's okay. Take heart, take a hold of your emotions. What's your heart? Your emotions, right? King David wasn't talking about the beating heart in your chest. When he says take heart, he means take hold of your emotions, right? And wait. So I just waited, and probably within 30 minutes... He ran down and put that up. Not a big, that's not a huge wait. I mean, come on. Like if I'm struggling with 30 minutes here, folks, you can't tell me it's hard when you apply for a job and you got to wait two weeks to hear back. I mean, that's just the society we live in, right? It's on your mind. You're waiting. But see, when we're strong and we take heart, we take hold of our emotions, we have to remind ourselves, especially when we're waiting on God, okay, he's got this. Just like yesterday, I had to be like, Todd's got this. He'll get to it. He's a man of his word. He's going to do a way better job with that shelf than I would, right? I can wait. It's okay. I'll go find something else to clean or something else to do while I wait. Now, while we're waiting on the Lord, it might be something as simple as, I need 30 extra bucks this week to pay my bills. All right, Lord, I'm trusting you. I've done everything I could do. I've worked. I've done all this stuff. Now, I'm going to trust you for that last $30. Now, first of all, you got to be willing to ask him to help you, and then you got to be able to wait on him. 
I've heard so many people tell me how, like, all of a sudden it's literally like an hour before they got to mail it out and they get a, they get a call, phone call. Hey, you still got that old couch for sale? I can give you 50 bucks for it, right? Then all of a sudden they got that last $50. But to wait until that time happens is hard. I'm just saying, it is hard. I love this here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. In this one, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Ooh. Waiting, a lot of times to me, feels like just being still, right? Because to me, the opposite of waiting is doing. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go do it myself. I'm not going to be still. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly off the handle and beat the air, right? And try to do the fight myself. And, and so many other places, there's lots of other scriptures where it says the battle is the Lord's, right? I mean, think about like the, the spiritual battle around us, the, the demons that plague people, the, the, you know, things happening in the spirit realm, things happen, you can't even control. And you've got to wait and trust in the Lord to fight those battles for you. So I love how it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Are you asking him to fight the battles you can't fight? I would say, you know, do your best, but then now ask God to do the rest. Have you done your best in the situations in front of you? And you said, okay, now God, I need you to do the rest. And then you're still, you just sit there. Okay, he's got it. That's hard. I I mean, I'm preaching on it, but I'm telling you as a human being, I know this is hard, but we need to hear it. Because you're going to find yourself this week wanting to do something, wanting to complain, wanting to just take charge, wanting to say, I'm not going to ask God because he's not going to do it. And instead, you've got to say to yourself, I'm going to ask God. I've done my best now. I'm going to trust in him to do the rest. Right? And sometimes waiting is hard. Now, what's interesting to me is when I read the Bible, I don't hear about the waiting, but it's there. You know, um, Queen Esther, right? When she, if you don't know the story of Esther, it's, it's, it's not a very long uh, book in the Bible. It's a few chapters. So go home tonight. That's your homework. Read the, read the book of Esther. Uh, so basically the Jewish people had been all kidnapped. All the best and the brightest had been taken by this invading force. Their cities and areas had all been destroyed. Um, some people remained, but not a lot. But Esther was one of the families that had gotten taken away and held captive, okay? And uh, the king of that land lost his wife because he got angry and urgent and had her killed or sent away, excuse me. She had, he had her sent away. So he was looking for a new wife. So the uh, palace people went out into the city and found any pretty girl they could find, young virgin girl, pretty young girl, and took her to the palace, basically kidnapped them all, and put them in an area that was just for the young virgin girls, and said, okay, you're going to have a night with the king. If he likes you, then he might pick you as the queen. And so Esther was one of them. She was a young Jewish girl. And her uncle had said, don't tell him you're Jewish. Just, just play along as a pretty local girl at this point. You know, she'll be in the palace. She'll have one night with the king, and then the rest of the days... Those would be considered concubines, and those women that had ever slept with the king would be 
would be fed, would be given jewels, would be live, have life in the palace. She would never need for anything. And he was like, there's no sense. We can't fight against the system the way they have it here, but just, just stay there. So that young girl was there for a year. They did like six months of certain type of beauty treatments and then six months of another type of beauty treatment. And at the end of the year, she finally got to have one night with the king. Now, that's a long time to wait to even see what's going to happen. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, but then here's the, the kicker. God knew what he was doing, right? This is, that's why it's part of the Bible. That night with the king, he, he was so impressed by her, thought she was so beautiful, decided she's going to be the queen. So she still gets to live in the palace, but rather than all the other women with the concubines, she, of course, gets her own side of the palace and she you know any children she'd have then would be in line to be the king and and this was this was a great opportunity for a young girl right she's at that time maybe not all of the young girls now would want to be a, a queen over in Babylon but she then is queen now guess how long goes by now before she really understands why five years go by five years she's queen and then all of a sudden, one of the guys underneath the king says, oh, by the way, I hate Jewish people. We need to kill all the Jews. We always think World War II was the first time they had mass genocide. No, 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 no. People have been against the Jewish people, God's people, for years, thousands of years. So anyhow, uh, Mordecai has to come to her and says, I don't know if where you're at, you can hear what's been you know, new laws that have been passed, but guess what? They're all going to come after the Jewish people. And I need you to go say something to the king because I can't go talk to him. Nobody else can go talk to him, but you're his wife. You're the queen. You need to go talk to him. And at first she's scared. And you would think, well, this is urgent. She should go right that second. She should go right that moment. She should have stopped what she was doing and she should have rushed into his bedroom that night and said, what in the world is going on? Hello, have you not noticed my brown eyes and my brown hair? Like, hello, I'm Jewish too. Why are you doing? This is horrible. That's what urgency would have done, huh? Urgency would have said, mass genocide, go talk to your husband right away. But that's not what happened. First of all, as Esther is very like, eh, and Mordecai is like, don't you think, because you live in this palace that you don't have to say anything because if all of the Jews get killed, this is going to come on your head too. And she said, look, 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 I, okay, I want to do something. She goes, but she was wise enough to know that her best was not going to be good enough. She needed God on her side. So she says, let's do this. Let's all pray and fast for three days. I'll make me and all the people that work for me in my palace, we're all going to pray and fast for three days. We're going to ask God to intercede when I go talk to him. And I'm going to ask you to go find all the local Jewish guys in this city and tell them that, look, for the next three days, we got to intercede and we got to pray and ask God because we know God can do it. God is able. See, you don't ask somebody who's not able. You ask the person who's able. I've mentioned this before, right? If I said, hey, I need to move a 100-pound piano from this side of the church to the other side of the church, I would ask the people who are able to move the piano, right? You, so they're asking God because they trust and they believe, and they don't have this urgency on them. The urgency is from Satan. Remember that. 
right? God wants us to wait on him. So they began to pray and they began to fast for three days. And then Esther says, okay, I'm going to go see my husband. Now remember, the way their society was, it was different. If I need to tell my husband something and he's not around, I send him a text. And he doesn't ever threaten to cut my head off for sending him a text when he's busy. But in this society, right, it was like, who do you think you are coming into my presence? I call and ask you when I want to see you. It might be a month before he wants to sleep with her. You know, remember, he's got a whole other room full of concubines. I mean, he can be with whoever he wants. The society is just different there. And she said, remember, when I walk into his presence, if he doesn't pick up his staff and say, yes, I want you to come in, they have to take me away and cut my head off. So they've prayed for three days. And she walks into that room, and he is happy to see her because he's got God's favor on him, right? And he picks up his staff, and he shows it to her, and she's able to come on down. And he says, oh, Esther, it's so wonderful to see you. Whatever you want, even up to half my kingdom, I will give to you. Because he knows that she's come into his presence with the request. Because for five years, she would just wait in her house for him to come visit. First time, she's risked death to come in. She knows she's got a question to ask. Now, he just said, up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. What do you want? You would think urgency would say, request that you don't kill the Jews. But she doesn't do that. She's waiting on the Lord, right? She's being patient. And she says, oh, I want you to come to dinner tonight. Oh, and bring that advisor over there with you, right? The advisor who made the law about killing the Jews, that the king stamped and said, okay, whatever. They go to dinner that night. They have this wonderful time. And he, the king is like, she's got a request. You know, she, now she's really buttering it up. She made me this great dinner. She's probably going to let me stay the night, you know. And All right, Esther, at the end of the night, he says, what is it that you want? Even up to half the kingdom, whatever it is you request, I want to give it to you. You would think in that moment she would say, save the Jews. But see, she's waiting on the Lord. She's waiting for the first time. She doesn't have this urgency. She says, oh, just come to dinner again tomorrow night. And he says, okay, I promised I'd grant your request. So he comes again the second night. And finally, the second night, she lays out her heart and says, what's going on? And of course, the Jews were saved because he then understands the necessity and he takes care of it. And, and it's, it's a beautiful story. Again, if you haven't read the book of Esther, please do do that. But my point is, she had to wait a year before she even met the king to find out that she would be queen. She didn't know what God had in store. She had to wait for five years before the moment occurred where she understood why she was in that position. And then at this point, it's another five days before she even tells him, I need you to help me with this. Now, if that is not a beautiful picture of waiting, <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, there are a few more. I've written them down. But, there, but that one's, I love that one. I love that one because, see, Satan makes us rush. Satan makes us feel like it's urgent. Satan makes us feel like, oh, this happened now. It's the end of the world. Nothing will ever change. Like, what are you going to do now? And the reality is, 
I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know God's got some plan. I know God's going to be doing something. I remember one time a friend called me all upset about something that was going on, and I just listened to her. And finally, I said, well, what do you think God's going to do about this? God's going to use this for something. Let's, let's use our imagination. I love to use my imagination, right? See, Satan uses it for worry and for, you know, dread and, oh, but this could happen and this could happen. I use it for like, oh, maybe so-and-so will find out and give me $10,000 and I can come over here and buy more car seats for the moms and have to have car seats, right? Oh, maybe this will happen and maybe this will happen. And, you know, like, why not? You got to think about something. Why not think about something good? Why not dream? That's why we're a dream center. It's not a nightmare center. It's a dream center. Right? It's not a worry center. It's a dream center. What are you dreaming about? As I'm waiting on the Lord, man, my imagination. You know, my imagination. Maybe she, I, you know, for five years, she might have literally been dreaming about one day the king is going to be like, Esther, where are your people from? And she's going to say, Jerusalem. And he'll be like, let's go on a vacation and visit Jerusalem. And they'd get there and he'd see the, the broken down temple and he'd see the broken down walls and he'd say, oh, Esther, for your birthday, I'm going to rebuild this city. Literally for five years, she might have thought, I'm a queen because one day I'm going to have King Xerxes come and rebuild our city. I would have been dreaming that. But instead, she finds out that it was literally to save the entire race of people. As much as it would have been cool for them to build the city back up, which is what happened during Nehemiah and Ezra's time, there wouldn't have been a Nehemiah, there wouldn't have been an Ezra if everybody would have been wiped off the face of the earth because Esther didn't step in. We not only have Esther... Think about Jesus. I think all this God came down in baby form. I mean, you wouldn't think like as soon as he turned three and could really talk and walk, he wasn't just like, you're blessed, you're healed. In the name of Jesus, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. No, he's 30 years old. I mean, I think back to when I was 25, I thought I knew everything and I wanted to save the world. Like 25-year-old Jesus just learned how to pound nails and be obedient to his parents and take care of his mother and his sisters and can you imagine waiting on the Lord until the time was right what about Moses Moses was 40 years old before he came out and really got to know the Jewish people that were enslaved and then because of some impulsivity and rushing and not waiting on the Lord and doing it his way he ends up killing a guy and has to run for his life in another 40 years in the desert. So he was 80 years old before he finally came back and delivered the people. 80 years. See, I want to know, like, how did they deal with the boredom? I mean, it, like, seriously, like, we deal with boredom by watching Netflix. What in the world did they do? Like, can you imagine? My kids can't stand it for five minutes if I take their phone away from them. Like, what would they have done in the desert for 40 years or 30 years or even five years sitting in a palace? Like there's only so much you can do. I would have been bored out of my mind. And I constantly got to be dressed and ready in case the king walks in. I'd be like, dude, if you don't like me without makeup on, then I don't know what to tell you. I would not have been a good queen. I'm just saying. No. All right. So what about us? 
Do you have to wait four days this week for a decision? Can you wait four days and trust in the Lord during those four days? Can you be strong and take heart, take a hold of your emotions while you're waiting on the Lord? Can you use those four days to dream about what can God do? What can God do? I love taking um, some of the, the, the leaders, you know, of the Dream Center, and I'll say to them, okay, if tomorrow somebody gave us $10 million, what could we do for Bay City? And I like to write down all their dreams, you know, of what they do for Bay City. And then, you know, if it's some of the ladies and I've got them overnight, the next morning I'll get up and I'll be like, okay, well, if we don't get that $10 million tomorrow, how can we do this program? You know, because I'll get their whole list and I'll be like, ooh, yeah, this one's good. This is the one that we need to be doing now. How can we do it without $10 million? What do we need to do? You know? And then we got to pray and then we got to wait on the Lord. I've literally been praying about having car seats for the community, and it was three years later before we got our first donation for car seats, right? In the meantime, it's me running to Walmart with my own money, buying a car seat here or there when I know someone's really in need. But I can wait on the Lord and trust in him and say, Lord, you care about this, and I need you to take care of this. See, the temp devil tempts us to give up waiting on the Lord. Don't wait on him. You've got to figure out how to do it yourself. Or it's just not going to happen. Move, you know, move on. No, every situation's different. Obviously, there's times to use wisdom to know what to do in a, in a particular given situation. But there's times when you know, like, no, God promised me this. I'm waiting on him. Don't let the devil give, get you to give it up. Let's see what it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Oh, I love this one. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He wants to be gracious to us. He wants us to have the desires of our heart. I love how he puts desires in our heart. So as we ask for those things, he can then give them to us. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Isn't that beautiful? We're blessed as we wait on the Lord. We are blessed. How about Psalms 37, 7? It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What's the difference between just waiting and waiting patiently? When you're, you're patient, you have hope. You know what you're waiting for, right? That's why you're being patient. Wait patiently for him. I like this. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their evil schemes or wicked schemes. Think about that. How many times it's like, well, if I did it the way my friends did it, I would have been you know, ahead by now. Well, if I would have done it this way, I would have been ahead by now. But you've been praying and you've been waiting on the Lord and you're going to do it God's way. It's like, don't fret when you see people around you getting what they want and you're still waiting. God's blessings are way better. I think it was 2013 when we formed an organization to create the Dream Center. It wasn't until 2018 before we actually had a building. So for five years, we waited on the Lord. And we tried all different types of things, right? And literally at one point, I was just like, I don't know what you need me to do, God. 
And finally, I stopped trying to do it my way. And I just said, okay, God, if you want this, you figure it out. And all of a sudden, God started working. But he had to have me go three, four years of me trying and trying and trying to do it my way before I could finally just wait on him and let him have things come together. But I remember it was 2018. I was in the sanctuary all by myself. And I, I'm honest with God. I mean, he knows what I'm thinking anyway. I was like, why did you make me wait five years? Why didn't you give us this building five years ago? Well, first of all, five years ago at that time in 2005, it wasn't an empty building. The building had sat empty for two years. And God reminded me, he says, five years ago, if you would have had this building, it would have been you and your husband, and maybe two or three people. But as it was, I was waiting for about 40 people to show up because for the last five years, everywhere I went, every dinner I was invited to, everybody's open house, anytime I would get to go to a nonprofit organization meeting, I would say, we're going to have a dream center. This is what we're going to do at the dream center. This is what we're going to do. And so by the time we finally got the building, when I said, hey, we got the building, I need help, I had 40, 50, 100 people show up, right, painting and cleaning and helping us do things. And he said, your waiting was not just in vain. It was building up a foundation of people to be able to then come and help. But see, sometimes when we're waiting, we don't recognize what's happening. But we have the trust that God knows what's happening. Last but not least, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. See, I thought he was just being slow. Like, well, come on, Lord. I know a day is like a thousand years to you and a thousand years is like a day. But come on. I'm not getting any younger. He is not slow in keeping his promise. He doesn't procrastinate like many of us humans do. He is very intentional in what he does. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. See, he's got a plan, and he knows I love that. He's not slow as we understand slowness. He's patient with us as he's working on all those details and bringing everything together. I like that Psalms 37, 7, slow, how it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, we have to trust while you're waiting patiently for someone. You have to let go of when Satan tries to tempt you and say, God, just see, God's not going to do anything. God doesn't care. No, you got to say, God's got something up his sleeve. I'm willing to wait. Right? I mean, it, you know, if Matthew came up here and said, I got five bucks for you right now. And I came up here and said, you wait. I'll give you 500 bucks. Now, most of you know me well enough to know, you know, I'm married to Dr. Todd, and I do all this as volunteer work. I'm not here for the paycheck, and I'm just here literally to bless the community. If I promised you, if you waited, I'd give you 500 bucks. How many would rather wait for the 500 bucks, right? Because <laughs> gonna, that's going to be worth a lot more than if Matthew offered you five right now. But see, see, Satan is like urgent. 
you do this now, you'll get this quick reward. You wait on God, and his blessing will be exactly what you need and what your heart longs for. I encourage you to wait for the 500 bucks. I encourage you to wait on the Lord and trust in him. Trust and wait on him for relationships, your jobs, your wealth. Um, His timing is perfect. So whenever you feel like you have to rush and make a decision and you feel like this urgency, ask yourself, is this God needing me to do this now because I'm going to miss out on something? Or is this something that I need to be patient waiting on the Lord for? All right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word says that we can trust you and we can wait on you and that you will provide And we are asking you to fight our battles and to provide for us and help our hearts, our emotions, as we trust in you. Give us peace while we trust in you. Give us patience as we trust in you. Give us joy as we dream about what you might have up your sleeve. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to have the ushers come forward. It is Communion Sunday. The communion is available for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray a blessing over this communion. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. Amen. So they're going to pass this out. If you can just go ahead and open it up, you'll notice there is a um, wafer on the top. It's all pre-sealed and packaged. And what you can do is get the um, wafer out. Thank you. And hold on to it, and we'll take it all together. So this little plastic comes off. You can pull the silver part up, and there's a little wafer in there. That way, no one's handled your bread and juice. I'm trying to get this off here for her. I love how in Isaiah 53, verse 5, the whole chapter is talking about when Christ comes. It's a, it's a prophecy. It was written about 500 years before Christ came. Verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom the people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Verse 9 says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had 
done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. I love this because this prophecy is so cool. You can, I can go through it verse by verse and show you in the New Testament where these different things happen. But verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those are the sins we've committed. The transgressions are those one-time sins. The iniquities are the sins that we struggle with on a regular basis. And when we take this communion, his body was broken and that blood was shed to forgive us for our iniquities, to forgive us for our transgressions. But it also goes on. It says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. See, we need peace for our souls. And it says... By his wounds, we are healed. We also need healing for our body. So when we take this communion, I want you to remember that not only did he go to the cross for you to be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven when you die, but he also went to the cross so that you could have peace in your souls while you live here on earth today and so that you could have healing in your body while you live on earth here today. So let's pray. Father God, as we get ready to take this communion, we ask you, as we examine our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies, that you will show us where we need a miracle, where we need healing. And as we take this in remembrance of what you did, we ask you to bring that healing, to bring us that forgiveness, to bring us that peace, because we need it. And that's why Jesus came, because he knew we needed that. We're asking you for that. We see here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let us take the bread. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the peace that is now upon us. We receive your peace for our souls and our relationships. We thank you for the healing. On our bodies. We receive your healing touch. Verse 27, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the cup. Father God, we thank you that Jesus came and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We receive that forgiveness right now. Forgiveness for our one-time sins, our transgressions, and forgiveness for our iniquities, the things that we struggle with day in and day out. Forgive us and give us the strength and the wisdom to be able to overcome the things that plague us. Help us. We receive you, Jesus. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope all of you have a wonderful week. The Blessing Shop is open. Please check out the Welcome Desk if you need to get a hold of us for any reason. And we will be here next Sunday at 10 o'clock for service. Thank you. God bless.